Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. And welcome back after long hiatus to the tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 44, and I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey, wondering what the hell he's talking about. I've been, we've done like six <laughs> episodes without you, Scott. We just never released them because of the injunction. <sighs> you and your <sighs> damn. <sighs> Try to build a robot of Scott to do the show with. <laughs> And he gets all pissy about it. I don't even want to think about what the, the logic algorithms of a Scott robot would, would, <laughs> would be like. 
<laughs> well, there aren't Heisenberg compensators, but there have to be bullshit compensators. There you go. It, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's one for the Trek fans out there. What's up? <laughs> oh, so I don't know. I you know I don't want to I don't want to beat a dead horse, but ah. Oh. I'll just apologize. Sorry, we've been away so long, guys. Yes, I sincerely apologize. It's it's. I mean, there's no mystery to the the whole thing, other than, um, you know what what the tabloids have been have been saying is really true. I mean, Mike and I just we really just can't stand each other. I mean, that's no. really what it comes down to. This this son of a bitch is such a diva. I mean, you he doesn't want any of the orange colored. Um, Reese's Pieces in the green room. And I, and I don't know why. And he yell, he makes that poor guy cry every week when he pours out the Reese's Pieces and the orange ones are left in there. He throws it on the ground. He throws a complete hissy fit and then goes and checks himself into rehab for no reason. He's not addicted to anything. He just says that would get us press. So, <laughs> And it works. It works yeah. every time. Yes, it does. <laughs> Scott. So, uh, just to give you guys a heads up about what's going on and why we were quiet there for a second, my, my wife came in and was wondering what the hell I was talking about, and she doesn't know that we were joking about the fact that, <laughs> of why we've been gone for so long. <laughs> She's like, who's in rehab? <laughs> God, some days I feel like it, though. Well, um, you've, been, you've, you've had the work schedule from hell. Yeah, it, that's you know that's pretty much what it is. I mean, it, it's basically it comes it, the simple thing comes down to scheduling, uh-huh. and you know my schedule's been crazy. Your schedule, I mean, just by default of you know it being a retail job, your you know yeah. job is crazy. So yeah, I have no yeah. control over what days off I have or what shifts I work or anything like that, unless I specifically ask for it, and that doesn't really happen all that often. So right. you know. Like I've said continuously, though, I'm really happy you have your your job. Um, You going to be driving the monorail soon? If things, uh, I always start to say, if things stay on track, which sounds like I'm making some horrible pun, but if if things keep going along, you know, the the way they are right now, I've been tentatively, I've been told that it's tentatively scheduled for like mid March. So, So, you know, yeah. I, I'm ex- I'm both really really excited and really really nervous because I've been told that the uh, the the training and the process is, is quite rigorous and you know there there are dire consequences you know if you if you cannot pass the thing so I'm kind of nervous about it but at the same rate hey this was what it was all about you know I, I just want the opportunity to to sit in that cab and and be in control. So I'm I'm really 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 looking forward to it. Scare the shit out of some people when it's there. You go. Every time we talk about the monorail, though, I keep thinking of that Simpsons song. <sighs> yeah, I'm sure you I'm sure you still think that's funny. <laughs> no, no, I, I I don't. You know what? What was fun? I was really thankful. You know, I, I have no idea. Um, you know, because you and I had talked that, that we want to get several of these, you know, just to let the listeners peek behind the curtain. We had talked that we want to get several of these episodes actually recorded and in the can before we start releasing again, just so we have that that buffer against, you know, unforeseen schedule circumstances in the future. Um, so, you know, by the time they actually hear this, this might be weeks or months ago, but 
you know, we, we just recently did an episode of, uh, of two true freaks that, that wrapped up our podcast vacation. And, you know, Chris and I had this very long and involved discussion about, you know, the, the, the future and the way we used to look at, you know, the future and everything. And we had a discussion and, and a lot of it revolved around the monorail and I was actually thinking about that this morning for some odd reason, how thankful I was that, that the whole Simpsons thing never came up in the conversation because, you know, I know I shouldn't, but I'm actually a little bit insulted by that, that Simpsons skit, you know, and the, the fact that they make fun of the, of the idea of, you know, what, you know what would make our town awesome is, you know, bring in the monorail. And they do it in kind of a, a snarky, condescending way, in my opinion, because I, I happen to believe in that. You know, I happen to believe that that's the way the future should have gone and just somehow just didn't, you know. But but that's just me. I'm, I, I've, I know that makes me some sort of weirdo, but, you know, just I don't know what I, it is about that. It, they just put me off somehow. The, the only thing about the future that I never want is flying cars. Everyone's like, where's our flying cars? And I'm like, I don't like these assholes on the road to begin with. Right. I, I, I cannot imagine how horrendous it would be if we were all allowed to fly suddenly. <laughs> you think that jackass talking on their cell phone, drinking their coffee, and putting their makeup on all at the same time is annoying on the road? Imagine if they were in the sky. Right. Right. <laughs> Good lord. I have literally seen people reading the newspaper driving down the road at 80 miles an hour, and it's like, no, I don't want you in the air. No, there's no, uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's bad enough that you could run into my car. I don't want you flying through my house, you know? It's, no. no. We could make some old people driving jokes, too, but... Oh, oh well, why not? what the hell? Do you really want old people flying, too? <laughs> you, need re- you know, there's a reason why in the Air Force they only let certain people fly the planes. Mm-hmm. If you've got bad eyes, if you've got bad reflexes, if you know, you, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be, you got to cut the mustard, <laughs> or is it cut the muster or cut the mustard? I've never really. Been I think it's actually muster, but I, the idea of actually sitting out. Yeah, you know, every time I hear somebody say that, I do actually picture like a blob of goldens on a plate and somebody with a knife and a fork. You know, so I like cut the mustard better myself. But um, but yeah, my God, could you imagine being? I guess the only good thing about flying is that if you were stuck behind. An elderly person flying at, you know, <laughs> 20 miles an hour that you could duck over or under them See, the to only, get around. The, see, that's one of those things of the future. That's, that's one of the few that isn't a mystery to me at all why it never happened. I think it never happened for exactly that reason. Is somebody somewhere said that, you know, I, I like to imagine that there was actually like some facility somewhere where they were like this close and then somebody suddenly said wait wait a minute exactly what you just said a minute ago wait a minute we we don't want these assholes in the air they can't even drive on the ground i think that's exactly <laughs> what happened and they just said nope forget it we're not going to do this but you know i actually i would i could actually be a proponent of flying cars if we could dogfight with them, Star Wars style, you know, because I've I've long had this fantasy of being able to kill the other drivers on the road, you know, 
So I think if we could actually do that, you know, you you were equipped with like lasers and missiles and stuff. That that I, I'd be all for it. That Scott, I got one. <laughs> Great kid, don't get cocky. <laughs> but no, well, we... I could just I could just see that I could see tooling around in my DeLorean and some jerk cuts you off in <laughs> air traffic and you just you know you fire a couple missiles and I could see them actually like smoking and you know crashing to the ground all Star Wars style I can I can see that in my mind's eye it's awesome. Well, we have a very interesting. Uh, episode of, of Tales of the JSA this week, as we are not covering an issue of All-Star Squadron, as we have been for, well, let's face it, like years now, and with all the hiatuses and everything. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this week, we are beginning our coverage of the five-part Crisis on Earth Prime story arc which was the 20th annual team-up of the Justice Society and Justice League of America. And it's a pretty epic story, mainly because at this point in comic book history, it was extremely rare for two titles to cross into each other like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think... I mean, I'm not talking like unofficial crossovers like those issues of Thor and Batman and Iron Man that all kind of crossed into each other in a really weird way um, that Jerry Conway was talking about in this interview Shag and I did with him for mm-hmm. Views from the Long Box. Uh, but, you know, like it was like this and the Avengers Defenders War. Right. Uh, and, and the main thing was is that at this point, even though comic shops were becoming more... Uh, popping up more and more around the United States, most people got their comics from the newsstands. Uh, right. I certainly did when I started collecting, and I know Scott did too. So it wasn't always a guarantee that whatever newsstand would carry both titles. So it would be kind of crappy to do, you know, like, we're going to start this in Superman and then go to Batman and the Superman and Batman if the newsstand didn't carry Batman. See, that's exactly what happened to me with this particular storyline. I had never read all five chapters until you and I got to this. I've actually read this storyline all the way through in preparation for, you know, these episodes we're going to do. But but this is my first time reading it as a complete chapter because I missed some because of exactly what you say. I used to buy my comics from a little convenience store, and they didn't get all five chapters of the damn thing. So, yeah. But um, we're starting off this week with Justice League of America, number 207, uh, which has a beautiful George Perez cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all the covers are pretty much like this. They have all of the character heads surrounding one image, and in this case, the image is the crime syndicate coming out of the Transmatter Cube and pretty much beating the crap out of the Justice League while all the heads look on in shock, which is what I really like about it, is that the heads look, like, really surprised at what's going on. Even the characters on the bottom are looking up to see what's going on in the image. Uh, and But it does give us our roll call. Justice well, League. Hang on, before you get to that... This being 2011, doesn't it look more like they're actually coming out of, like, a big screen TV? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
like that 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 serious like late '80s, early '90s big screen TV. Yes, yeah, the screen great. kind of think, felt weird and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, our roll call for the Justice League is Aquaman, Firestorm, Hawkman, Superman, and Zatanna. I just noticed that they actually go in alphabetical order with the characters. Uh, JSA is Dr. Fate, Green Lantern, Huntress, Power Girl, and Starman. And barely in this issue, I might add, Firebrand, who looks very good handled by parents, Mm -hmm. I might add. Uh, Johnny Quick, Liberty Bell, Robot Man, and Steel. Title to this story is Book One Crisis on Earth Prime. Written by Jerry Conway, who we talked about in previous uh, episodes. Uh, He wrote the Steel chapters of issues 8 and 9. Artists are Don Heck and Romeo Tangal. And if you think that Scott and I are going to sit here and bitch about the Don Heck art uh, in the review portion, you're going to be surprised, I would think. Ben Oda, letterer. Carl Gafford, colorist. Roy Thomas is... There as the plot consultant and Len Wein as the editor. The JSA and JLA prepare prepare, excuse me, for their annual meet and greet. Huntress wonders if her uncle Bruce will be there, which still kind of creepy. While on the Earth One side of things, Firestorm silently muses on how this time he is going to put his best foot forward with Power Girl, and I am assuming that he wants to put his best something else forward as well. But this was the 80s, and such things were rarely (laughs) talked about in a JLA book. (laughs) Superman welcomes the JSA to Earth-1, but instead of the JSA stepping out of the transmatter machine, the crime syndicate of America does. And as you can imagine, a fight breaks out, and it's pretty vicious, too, with Superwoman punching Superman out of the satellite and powering, pounding Firestorm into the ground with a giant mallet. After beetling... (laughs) After beating the JLA handily, the CSA heads to the hangar and takes, for lack of a better term, a Javelin 7 to Earth, mentioning that they have a certain Per Degaton to thank for their freedom. Which leads to my first question, since when does the JLA have freaking spaceships? Everyone beams aboard. Well, Superman makes a comment later on, I think it's this issue, about they they were supposed to be testing this. Or something. Oh, that's right. Uh, the things I miss when I write I write the synopsis. No, no, that's cool. Meanwhile, the JSA find themselves trapped in the limbo bubble that previously served as the crime syndicate's prison. Doctor Fate, as usual, gives us a skinny on the whole multiverse thing, and I, I think at this point everyone's pretty much sick of Doctor Fate. Every time it's like Jesus Christ, Fate. We every, know. Every every time we get together, it's like, well, you see, there's Earth One and Earth. Shut up. <laughs> I was there last time, asshole. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, and they also give, and he also gives a brief history on how the JLA and JSA took on and defeated the crime syndicate in, I believe it was their very first team-up. Power Girl finds the that brute force isn't the key to their escape, but Starman and Dr. Fate have better luck, and after a big old flam, F-L-A-M, the JSAers are floating in limbo. Green Lantern uses some fancy lingo he picked up from Hal Jordan, 
to explain how they are going to escape, and soon they find a hole in reality which allows them to return to Earth. The problem is that the Earth they return to looks as if it was destroyed in a nuclear holocaust. Green Lantern announces that they are on Earth Prime, and there is a gen- there is general WTF talk before being attacked by something. I have no idea what attacks them in this issue. The artwork is really unclear. It looks like they're being attacked by ground sludge. Uh, But, you know, maybe I'm just missing something there. Green Lantern then announces that his ring can pick up psychic impressions. Um, Okay. And tells the group that he is certain that all of this was caused by Per Degaton. Back on Earth-1, the JLA recover, and after Superman rescues Zatanna, they head to Earth-2 and find the headquarters to the JSA deserted and in quite a state. Hawkman notices that the calendar on the wall stops at 1942, and once the JLA gets outside, they find the present looking sort of like the past and D-flags all over the place. Superman recognizes the symbol as that of Per Degaton, thanks to the files of the JSA, which he says he went through. I have a feeling he was just standing there at one of their hanging out meetings, parties, whatever, and just using his x-ray vision on the file folders. And after their presence causes a disturbance in the crowd, Per Degaton's men arrive and attack. And it goes about as well as you would assume it would with a bunch of normal people attacking the freaking Justice League with rifles. And soon Superman has Firestorm whip up a time bubble with Firestorm making a, get this, Rick Springfield reference because it is 1982 (laughs) and Jesse was a girl or Jesse is a friend. Oh yeah, he's a good friend of mine. But lately, I'm just kidding. And soon the group goes back to 1942. Everyone is pretty pleased with themselves and feel it is an honor to talk to the JSA in their prime, but the group is shocked when instead of the Justice Society walking through the door of the headquarters, the All-Star Squadron does. And that is the end of the issue. Keen. Alrighty, going to the historical notes as given in the All-Star Companion Volume 2, uh, written and edited by Roy Thomas. Uh, This issue begins the longest of any of the 23 JLA-JSA team-ups of 1963 to 1985. This five-issue story arc has the overall title Crisis on Earth Prime and Leapfrogs, as we said, between three issues of Justice League of America and two of All-Star Squadron. Um, Despite Roy Thomas' repeated requests, Commander Steel is listed as merely Steel on the covers of all five issues. The idea for the storyline arose because the year was 1982, and the All-Star Squadron was set in 1942. Splitting the difference gave them 1962, the year of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The fact that the titles of many of the JLA-JSA team-ups contained the word crisis was just icing on the four-color cake. It was decided at the outset that there'd be no overlap in the personnel between the 1982 JSAers and the 1942 All-Stars who took part to avoid having to deal with yet another time paradox. The only doppelgangers after a fashion were the two unrelated Johnny Quicks. Roy Thomas will reveal in a later letters page that when he decided to have Liberty Bell elected chairwoman of the All-Stars, he was unaware that Jerry Conway had done the same for Zatanna in the JLA. (laughs) 
When the writers began work, they didn't know any of the crime syndicate of America had appeared in stories since their 1964 debut. Fortunately, being made aware in the two CSA breakouts from their interdimensional prison, they were able to account for them. As a letter writer will point out in issue 20, the date on the calendar in JSA's HQ is, 19, is July 1942, when it should have been January of that year. And that's pretty much it. Hmm. Well, what do you got on this issue? Well, first of all, I, I just want to put out a, a call to the listeners. Um, I would appreciate uh, you guys acting as uh, our eyes in the field, so to speak. I still desperately need a copy of Volume 2 of that All-Star Companion. Now, I'm not asking somebody to, to buy it and send it to me. Just if you see a good deal on it somewhere, let me know. And, uh, and you know, if it's a good enough deal, then, you know, we'll work something out where I can send you the, the cash for it or whatever. But uh, I really need a copy of that thing. It's just I'm spoiled. See, I picked up the first one for I think it was like $2. So <laughs> I'm just not willing to pay. I mean, what are those books retail for, like 30 bucks or something uh, like that? Let's see. $24.95 yeah. this one was. Yeah, it's just, that's just too damn much for me for, for what is essentially. A, a textbook that you know a, a lot of that stuff no offense to, to anybody involved with the making of those books but you can find most of that information online I would just like it in convenient you know portable book form but again not willing to pay a whole lot for it so but I saw volume 3 not long ago on the cheap and I really should have picked the damn thing up but you know I didn't want you know to have one and three I want you know I want to get them in order so anyway uh I would appreciate some uh, some info if somebody knows where I could uh, snag one on the cheap. Anyhow, let's see what have I got for notes on this one. I got a ton of notes. Now, do you want to do you want to go back and forth on notes, or do you want to go you want to start at the beginning and go page by page, and we'll just tackle it together, or what do you, how do you prefer to do this? Uh sure, let's do that. That'll be fine. Okay. Well, first off's the cover, and. Uh, you had said something about uh, the alphabetical heads. I, I learned not too long ago that uh, I guess this is a common uh, Perez thing that whenever he's doing heads, that he typically in alphabetical order. I forget where I heard this, but I went back and I've I've looked at a lot of Perez art going all the way back to when like he first popped up and started doing stuff like that. And it seems to be pretty pretty consistent. It's almost always alphabetical order, which I can't believe I never noticed that before. That's awesome. It is. It's really I, cool. I, I never knew that. But Aquaman's hair is so 80s, so late 70s, early 80s. I always it's liked his hair. I remember there was an issue of, I think it was DC Comics Presents... And that was the first time I ever really realized how much he and Superman actually looked a lot alike sometimes, the way they were drawn. It was like he was, you know, if you looked at just his head a lot of times in, in certain stories, he was like he was the blonde Superman because he had basically the same hair. The, uh, the, the neat thing about the cover to me is you've got Aquaman and you've got Green Lantern, who are both basically blonde dudes, right? Right. But... They don't look anything alike. A lot of the time with certain artists, and unfortunately, I'm going to call out one of one of our favorites, John Byrne. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Byrne's Batman looks like Superman in a Batman cow. Yep. 
I mean, it's it's just how he draws people. I'm not I'll insulting the man. I'm just saying that you know his he's got his stock people. Right. And Perez, you know, taking Aquaman and Green Lantern here, their hairstyles are different. The way their faces are shaped are different. So if Green GL took off the big purple flared collar and the and the domino mask, they would still like to look like two completely different people. Right. And it's one of the things I've always appreciated about Perez's art. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, even Johnny Quick down at the bottom, I think he looks he looks different. And that that could be hair too, but well, he's also got kind of a, a broader chin than Aquaman does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Green Lantern's chin is kind of different from the two of them too. So it, it's just I. As much as I actually like the art in this issue, I really would have preferred to see Perez take on. Oh yeah, definitely. This issue, <laughs> definitely, yeah. In no uncertain terms. Well, it was it was Perez as interior artist that that got me interested in the in the Justice League of this era. So yeah, I would I would have killed for him to have actually illustrated this story. Because if he had, if it had been his art, at least in the in the Justice League issues. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I I really like this story. I like this story a whole lot. But you know, as we're going to discover, I you know, I have one big, big, big beef with it. But you know, that'll have to wait until uh, further down the road. Let's see. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the Perez covers are you know the cover on this issue. That's definitely what caught my eye on the newsstand, made me pick up and buy the issue, and it's what kept kept me buying. You know the issues of it that I could find because I, I think I want to say that I had four out of the five. I think there was only one that I that I somehow had missed when it came out. I'm not sure which. Oh, I made a big boo boo. What's uh, that? The the title to this issue is actually Crisis Times Three, mm-hmm. but that's only because the title is two pages after the credits. So. <laughs> what what did what had you said it was Crisis uh, on Earth Prime? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the overarching mm-hmm. title of the thing, and then the individual issues have have titles as well. Which, to me, that's just that's a little too much titling, you know. Just go with the one <laughs> chap, you know, chapter one of rather than individuals. But that I think that's just one of those comic book holdovers from the old days, where comics actually had chapters within an issue, you know. It was almost like they were going to commercial break sometimes in the in the issues. It's like after these messages, we'll be right back. And it's like, yeah, okay. Well, all I have to do is turn the page for those messages. Come on, Justice League of America will continue in a moment. Right. <laughs> all right. Again, I have to ask, why do all the Earth Two guys always have to come to Earth One? You know, this, this to me is like having that friend that'll never come over to your house, but you've always got to go to their house. Well. I, yeah, I could see that. that. That would be kind of annoying. I guess maybe because the satellite's cooler than the brownstone? I don't know. <laughs> well, may, well, that's a good point. That is actually a good point. I mean, maybe would you like to it. hang out in, in, in a brown... I'm sure the brownstone's very nice. I'm sure they have a great housekeeping staff. and It's not like you go in there and there's, like, you know, cat leavings behind the couch or whatever. But, you know, would you rather hang out there or would you rather hang out in space? Didn't Wildcat break their big screen TV a while back? Maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe the Justice League simply has the TV that works. Back in, in the All-Star Comics run? Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. God damn, I can't believe I remember that. 
My brain like, never works man, like that. I was that. about to say, I can't believe you remember that either. <laughs> I think I think that's mystery solved right there. They they got together. They said, "All right, whose big screen TV works? Ours does." All right, well, we're getting together at your house then, dude. We realize they're getting together every year to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> they're playing Atari. This is 1982. They're playing Atari on the big screen. Those those big old blocks look that much bigger and blockier. <laughs> you think Superman would get really bored with Atari when he could go out and do that crap for real? I mean, think of Space Invaders. No, no, I'm sure that there's a commercial, there's gotta be a commercial somewhere that shows Superman playing Superman for the Atari 2600. There's and gotta be swearing like a sailor the entire time because that game sucked. <laughs> it sucked ass. He's like, let me go, let me go God damn it, I again. can fly in a straight line. Why can't this game fly in a straight line? Let, let, me, let me land and turn into Clark Kent. Now I'm going to turn into Superman again. Now I'm going to fly around a little while. And it's about as useless as the Raiders of the Lost Ark game. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Don't badmouth that game. I actually beat that game. It was a bitch, and I went through about 50 controllers, but I actually beat that game. If, if, if you want to compare that shitty you... Superman game to something, compare it to E.T., because other than just falling in random holes, I couldn't find any purpose to that game whatsoever. It's kind of rare that the Raiders of the Lost Ark game had an ending, because most, um, most games of that era, it was just trying to get a higher and higher score. Right, right. Uh, you know, like Missile Command style or whatever. That's, uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, on the page with Crisis Times Three, they got a shot of Superwoman, and she has uh, she has black hair with a white streak in it. Let me just say that I've always found that incredibly sexy. Really? Mm-hmm. The whole rogue thing? Oh yes, it's why I always had kind of a thing for the chick from the Blue Devil comic. Ah, I don't remember that. I should remember that. I like that series, but I don't remember that at all. Let me see. Backing up just slightly here, page two, panel one. Is it just me, or does the transmitter basically look like a giant airport x-ray machine? <laughs> a little bit. Doesn't it? It looks like they're going through baggage, you know, the, like the like the baggage check part at the airport before they have to go there. <laughs> just, that really jumped out at me when I was reading this. Let's see, panel two of that same page... You know, I know this is about 10 years too early for this reference, but I, I would have loved it if, if Hawkman had told Superman all, all Beavis and Butthead style. <laughs> you said Cosmic Rod. Rod. <laughs> Have you ever seen the Cosmic Rod? The thing? <laughs> I'm sorry that when I got the Golden Age Starman DC Direct figure and I took the Cosmic Rod out of his little pouch, it was just like, oh, wow. You should have Power Girl holding on to it. <laughs> Big. But that's okay. Speaking of Power Girl, I like that uh, Firestorm is, is looking forward to uh, trying a, again for a little uh, Power Girl nookie. Well, as our f- mutual friend Shag has pointed out, they're both Jerry Conway creations. Oh, that's true. I hadn't and never even put that together. Now, you know, as you had said, you know, if people were expecting a whole lot of ripping on Don Heck in this issue, they're, they're going to be disappointed because that pose of Superman at the bottom of page two, I like that. Mm-hmm. He looks good right there. He, he looks really, really good. He's even got kind of the sideburns thing going on. Um, yeah. 
which was kind of odd. Though on the very next page, we, it's not that the 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 second splash page, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. is bad. It's not bad at all. It's just outside of powering. Uh, and Superwoman, and maybe Ultraman. I freaking hate the costumes. Of uh, <laughs> that's kind of odd. I just mentioned like <laughs> pretty much all of, them. of the team. <laughs> no, it's just Owlman and Johnny Quick's costume. I always thought it always kind of thought it sucked, and I never really liked Ultraman's either for some bizarre reason. I think it's because it's mostly blue. And there's right. nothing really separating it, like the Superman costume and the shoulder pad thingies kind of suck. But Owlman, Owlman sucks. Yeah, his. He, I've never, ever, ever liked any character, Marvel or DC, that was wearing a full animal head on their head. You know, Batman has a cowl that's supposed to kind of make him look like a bat, like mm-hmm. he has a bat head. Those kind of those kind of things I get. Even Hawkman, as ridiculous as I do think his thing looks, when he got the one that he wore lower on his head to where he looked like he had a hawk's head, I, I like that one. But with characters like say Owlman, or there's there's characters at Marvel that are even worse. Like uh, there, what was there? There's one like the the white ape or some damn thing, and it looks like he's wearing um and a monkey head on his own head. I know Those, what you're talking they about. They look freaking ridiculous because they look like they've got two heads. They've got a, a human head and then an animal head, and that's just how Owlman looks. He's got his regular face, and then he's got a goddamn owl head on top of his head, and he looks like, he looks completely stupid. No one looks him in the eye because they just get freaked out of those owl eyes staring right. at them blankly. <laughs> they just look at the floor when they talk to him and shuffle their feet nervous. Yeah, oh, man, that, that's really great. Your cow is really freaking me the fuck out right now. <laughs> you please look in the other direction. <laughs> no, for, uh, one of the few things that I liked about J- JLA Earth 2 that came out like 1999-2000 was the redesign of the um, of the crime syndicate. Because that Owlman was badass. I'll have to give you that, because I was going to say, if you're, if you're going to blaspheme, then I'm going to go home. But, you know... Yeah, I'll give you that one because yeah, Owlman and that was pretty badass. I'll, I will yeah. give you that, but I, that, that that book was that just book. a horrendous disappointment, and it's kind of on point because it has to do with the crime syndicate. Oh, absolutely. absolutely! But how in the hell do you pimp a you know? Okay, guys, it's you know it's been like over like fifteen years almost since the last JLA JSA you know crime syndicate type of appearance. We're gonna have the JLA. You know, facing off against the crime syndicate, and they never fucking see each other, and there's no big fight where Superman and Ultraman are wailing on each other. Thanks a lot, Grant Morrison. Thanks. I'm glad to hear you say that, because I've busted on that book just nonstop since it came out, and uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody took me to task on it a while back and told me I was completely wrong, that they do tussle in that. And I just don't have... They I don't, just don't have it in me to go back and reread that piece of shit. There's no so. real satisfying battle because the whole point is that they can't exist on the same reality together. Right. They have to switch places. And thank God Kurt Busiek uh, reversed that in his JLA story arc uh, where he brought back the crime syndicate. You were actually able to allow them to fight. Um, if If they tussled... 
I don't think it was anything memorable because it didn't stand out. Believe me, when if Ultraman and Superman had fought in that issue, I would have remembered it. That's exactly the one I was going to say, is that I, I think what happens, I think what was pointed out to me is that I was wrong because... I think it was like Martian Manhunter from one reality battles heroes or villains, whatever, from the other. And he was allowed because there was no counterpoint or some bullshit like that. And I was like, look, you know, no offense, but I don't give a rat's ass about the Martian Manhunter. The fight I wanted to see was Superman versus Ultraman. That's the that's that's the one, you know, that's the pay-per-view special right there. You know, it would be like purchasing that for 60 bucks and then you get, you know, Whatever, you know, Pee Wee Herman versus Michael Jackson. It's like, that's not what I came here for, you know? Actually, I'd I'd pay 60 bucks to see that. (laughs) I probably would too. (laughs) Um, The the fight, though, here, it's it's as good as I think Don Heck could do. Uh, It's not a. I don't think the fight is particularly dynamic, but it's not bad. I mean,. What I like about it is Superwoman takes Superman off the playing field early. So Mm -hmm. he can't really be an issue. And Ultraman does kind of the same thing to Zatanna, which shows a lot of intelligence on their part that they basically took the two more powerful people on the the, uh, team, um, including Firestorm, who Power Ring pretty much pounds the crap out of immediately, and takes them off the table, like, uh, immediately in the fight. Right. So what you're left with is Hawkman and Aquaman, and no offense to Aquaman, who is inc- who's a powerful character. Um, he's not beating the crime syndicate by himself, nor is Hawkman. So the fact that they just came in, had this shock and awe battle, and then escaped, and were off, and kind of drop the little hints about the paired Dagaton. It's just awesome. And you're right, he does say Owlman just does say that he's located an experimental spacecraft. Um, I just wanted to call it the Javelin because I liked Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Me too. It actually I, looks a lot like uh, like the Javelin. So, well, sort of. I have that toy too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my youngest boy, I bought it for him a while back. They had those on clearance at... Uh, uh, big lots some time ago. It's probably a couple of years ago now, and I got it like dirt cheap. But uh, I don't know uh, if, if you have this in your notes, but uh, pages four and five, I, I like this fight a lot. I really enjoy this fight quite a bit. However, this is the mildest depressurization I think I've ever seen. <laughs> so, I mean, I she that. knocked Superman through the friggin' wall. So it should be all alien style, right? You know, yeah. like like Bishop should be getting sucked across the floor and everything, and nothing. Everybody just continues on like nothing's going on. And then Ultraman throws Zatanna through another window, and everything's going on. You know, there's one reference to it at the bottom of page five where Owlman says, Ultraman, we're losing air. And I'm thinking... Yeah, at a pretty rapid rate, I would think. You know, well, you got to understand that there have been so many fights in the JLA satellite that they they have compensators that kick uh-huh. in immediately uh-huh. if there's a hull breach. I guess I, I mean, you, you 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 would have to you'd have to think of like after the fifth fight where they lost pressure wherever they were on the satellite, the next meeting would be like Batman going, going, okay, for Christ's sakes, can we do something? We're the freaking (laughs) Justice League of America here. I've got more money than God. 
Right. Superman's the big brain. We've got Hawkman from another planet. Can't we, like, put our heads together and do something about this thing? You know? Because I'm going to tell you, as the human of the group, it makes me kind of nervous that there's <laughs> nothing between me and the void of space but something that Superman can get punched through every five minutes. I, I just I see it more as every time it happened in the past, Batman was at his desk with like a big old stack of notes and paper, and the papers just started flying all over. Oh, oh, oh! Bitch, not again! <laughs> um, why didn't Power Ring just whip up a bubble to take them all to Earth? Um, because them flying in a spaceship looks cool. It does look cool. It's just, I mean, he can do that, right? Yeah, he can do that. Okay, because yeah, these these kind he's, he's, he's Green Lantern of that of that reality. Uh, so. I thought so. All right, these kind of things are th- th- this is going to come up over and over again. At least one more time that that I can remember off the top of my head, where they just characters in this just kind of seem to forget that they can do a certain thing, and then another uh, you know other instances they suddenly do things that hmm, I didn't know that they could do that like ever again. Yeah. So. Like- like we'll get to that when we talk about Green Lantern later. <laughs> well, we we can get to that now. I'm that's where I'm at here. But uh, but before we get into that, um, I just have to issue a big old comic book cliche alert, and uh, it's Limbo. I just don't understand Limbo. How do folks trapped in Limbo eat or use the bathroom? Is well, it you're in like Limbo, so you don't zone? have to. Okay, so it's like the Phantom Zone. Actually, I have no idea. I'm just making this shit up as I go along. I think they are, too. Um, But I think we need to discuss what what exactly are the the laws that govern Limbo, because if it is a Phantom Zone-y kind of place... Because I went back and looked. Now, I didn't, like, sit down and read it. I just kind of breezed through it. But I went back and looked at the story they referenced, the the original crime syndicate fight in... Mm -hmm. um, Justice League of America's 29 and 30 and at the end of it I felt bad for the crime syndicate because they're stuck in this stupid bubble and they just look really pitiful and sad and it's like it's it's a bubble there's nothing there there's no TV they don't it have any help that the artwork kind of sucked but yeah it did it was bad it was I'm sorry whoever <laughs> here come the emails yeah it was, it was really bad but I mean it would be bad enough to be stuck in this with other people that you just barely get along with anyway, but they literally have nothing to do. But then they can't eat either or use the bathroom. So it's like, it just seems like cruel and unusual punishment to me. Now, I know they're the bad guys, but Jesus, you know, I mean, we could be humane about this, you know? So, I don't know, I wish I wish they had defined this whole trapped in limbo thing just a little bit better cuz the more I think about it, the more that thought terrifies me, you know? It's really not a nice thing to have done to see, them. I can understand why they're pissed off. See, see what would be really funny is if you find out that the limbo of the DC multiverse is actually the negative zone of the Marvel universe. And when all they can do is sit there and watch as Reed Richards and his buddies are building that giant prison going, oh, 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 come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, what I thought you were going to say is that the limbo of the DC universe actually has the song Limbo playing in the background the entire time. That like a be... really bad music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And just them all sitting there, look, just staring off vacantly as it plays in the background until Johnny Quick finally snaps and starts doing the limbo rock, and that's when Ultraman snaps his spine or something. And that story happened a long time ago. And I know that probably not much as not as much comic book time is supposed to have passed, but in real time, that was like twenty years before this. These poor guys have stuck there. Hell of a long time with nothing to do but look at each other, you know. <laughs> and if I was Superwoman, I think I'd be really nervous, you know. I wouldn't be. She's like more powerful than he than any. Oh, that's them. true. <laughs> she would just tease them, just mercilessly. <laughs> she she strikes me that way, actually. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you got? Green Lantern has two abilities in this issue that boggle my freaking mind. Well, the first one doesn't, but I'm just kind of annoyed at how he stumbles upon it. You know, he goes, I'll, I'll scan the surrounding continuum with my power ring, looking for a weakness in the fabric of space and time. And Huntress is like, huh? Come again? <laughs> and it's like, look, <laughs> when I was, when I was like, you know, 14, 15 years old, the first time I read this, I understood what he said. You're the freaking Huntress. And but 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 that's not bad enough. What's what's terrible is sorry, Huntress. I picked up that tech, technical lingo from Hal Jordan, Earth's Earth's Earth One's Green Lantern, and I'm like, what? What you can't? <laughs> you hang around with freaking Doctor Fate, right? I'm sure Doctor Fate has used words like space and time and continuum. Ah, I got annoyed the piss out of me. <laughs> but not as bad as the strange power he picks up on the bottom of page 13. I hate to break the, up this garden party, folks, but I've got some news. The ring can identify psychic patterns, the kind of emotional vibrations every living thing leaves behind Since as an indication. Of, exactly. And I understand. I mean, it's an interesting... You would think that that is something because... Uh, Alan Scott's ring is more magic based that that would be something that it can do right but it's never been mentioned before and I don't think it is ever mentioned again and maybe it was Conway trying to establish this so that it's there in the toolbox and no one else picked up on it but because no one else picked up on it it seems really random like he suddenly needs that ability so they have that ability alright I would like to point out at this point that you know, I am not a comic book professional, although I play one on a podcast. So I have no idea how the hell comics like this were put together back in the day. But I kind of like to imagine that they were done all Star Trek style. That when it came to stuff like this, you actually had a blank uh, word bubble over Green Lantern's head on that page that just said, bullshit, 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 bullshit. And they had to go back in later and fill it all in. <laughs> You know, it's like the techno babble thing that they would do on Star Trek. In those scripts, it would literally say, Jordy says some techno babble. And then later on, they'd get some geek to fill it uh, all in. What, you know? what was his name? God, I know the name of the guy that they went to, too. Michael Okuda? Yes, exactly. Yeah. The other thing, though, that bugged me on page 13 was, of course, Green Lantern Hunter says, that that's what gives rise to stories about ghosts. Okay, who is a founding member of the fucking team you're on, Huntress? 
Right. What are you right. talking about? <laughs> Ghosts don't exist except for that guy that used to be on this team named the Spectre. What the? I hate that. I hate it. Yep. When characters who have seen shit that will, you know, turn you white, to, to, <laughs> to quote Winston Zedmore from Ghostbusters, right? right. You know, the, they looked at the abyss. The abyss gave them the finger. And they walked away from it, and everything was fine. But later on, it's like, well, I can't believe in ghosts and w- w- aliens on Earth. Are you serious? I, I was just going to say that same thing, because do you remember when that, uh, what the hell was the name of it? Batman, I think it was Batman Abduction or something like that. Yeah. The one that shows him floating up into the air on the cover of it, it was like yeah. Batman Abducted. And it was doing a whole X Files thing. I was like, hello, he's on a team with a fucking alien. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I know it's it's a minor oh, thing. Damn it, I stopped the F-bomb, didn't I? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, well, there's one in the quarter jar. No, but seriously, it's, it's, um, it's just kind of annoying because I understand the point Conway was trying to make. He was trying to make that, you know, some people think that ghosts aren't so much ghosts, but psychic impressions left behind by, you know... like something really really violent happens in a location and it was so bad that the energy from that event lingers and causes crap to happen but it's a long way to go to give Green Lantern this new ability and the dialogue around it seemed to be filler dialogue right like well we've got to fill out these next two panels because we just kind of shot our wad on this third from the last one so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let me see. I'm looking ahead here. Do you have anything before page 16? No. All right. Um, I love this one. This one's a freaking doozy. You're going to like this. All right. Page 16. All right. The Justice League wakes up from the ass kicking that they got at the hands of the uh, crime syndicate, right? And Superman rescues the 10 and all that sort of thing. And uh, they're all comparing notes. What should we do? Oh, the the experimental thing's been stolen. The crime syndicate must be down on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Zaytana, new leader of the team, says, no, the crime syndicate can wait. Our friends on Earth 2 can't. And I just do a total, you know, South Park, what, what, what? <laughs> it's like earlier this same year, the Earth was nearly devastated by an attack from beings with Superman's powers, right? Now Ultraman, arguably stronger than Superman, and and come to think of it, Superwoman, who is stronger than Superman, and all their pals are loose down below, but that can wait until you've checked on your little playmates from the Justice Society? I don't fucking think so. I think you need to get your priorities straight. The Earth is in jeopardy. And they're gonna go running off to some other some other planet. It's like n- n- that was like wow when I caught that. You know, <laughs> seriously? No, really. The plot wouldn't really move forward the way we wanted to if we go to Earth right now. Right. We can't have the shocking last page if we do that. Right. Right. <laughs> it, but I mean, seriously. Once I realized that, I was like. No, wait, wait, back up. Because, I mean, not only is this basically an evil Justice League loose on Earth, but these guys, you already know that they've got a serious mad on against, you know, the, the Justice Society. And 
you know, one of my notes for this um, was what exactly is the order of Ultraman appearances here? Well, we'll learn soon that this takes place after um, his last appearance in um, DC, DC Comics, Comics presents. presents Annual Number 1, where he was working on a plot to blow up Earth 1 and 2. So come on! <laughs> They're clearly a friggin' threat here, okay? <laughs> All right, it's like that's... Zatanna. Superman steps forward and is like Zatanna. I don't want to overstep your my, your authority here, but bitch, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this is another one of my problems with with you know. Please, I no, some don't write in and tell me I'm a sexist asshole or anything. It's got nothing to do with that. I've always had a problem, whether it's the Justice League or the Avengers or whoever. With the 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 serious Z-lister being the leader of the team, who's the leader of the Justice uh, Excuse me, the Justice League, Superman. Come on, Superman's the fucking leader here. Don't don't give me any bullshit about we had an election and this person got elected in there. It's Superman. Come on, who's the leader of the of the Avengers? You know, they can let Wasp pretend she's the leader or any of the other ones. Who's really the leader? Captain America. Everybody knows this, okay? So this shit with, with you know, them giving equal time to the I, – I, that's always driven me nuts. Just let Superman be in charge. He's Superman for Christ's sakes, okay? Well, to, to play devil's advocate that you can do more interesting things with Zatanna in this in this title than Superman because Superman has like five other books he appears in and Zatanna has – None. So, <laughs> I I know, but it come on. Does that not drive you crazy when you when you when you you know? Not as much as you apparently. <laughs> you're letting the kids drive the car. You know what I mean? It's like come on. You know. I just, I don't uh, know. I I always kind of liked just on a weird level. I always kind of dug the uh, the the rotating leader thing because I think I, I think story wise. Unfortunately, what it leads to is it, le- especially in the Marvel universe, is it leads to like when Wasp was the leader of the Avengers, Cap would k- give an order on the battlefield, and she'd get her nose at a joint, and Cap would be like, "Well, I just naturally did that, and I shouldn't have done that because the Wasp is in charge." And the Wasp was like, "Hey, I'm in charge," and it just it leads to unnecessary drama that. Like the first time it happens, you're like, okay, that that's kind of interesting. Second time it happens, okay, that uh, okay, uh, I'll give it. And then it's like the, the the fifth time, it's like, okay, we've had this discussion like 16 times now, and we and we really don't need to have it again. Zatanna, I don't really have a feeling one way or the other. I think the main reason I don't like her as leader of the uh, of the Justice League has nothing to do with the fact that she was a woman. Because if they had made like Wonder Woman leader, I would never have had a problem with that. Is that she's very inexperienced at this point as a hero, and why are you letting not not so much the Z-lister lead the team? Why are you letting the Buck Buck Private, you know, who just you know just got out of basic training, you know, lead the troops into battle? See, you know, they don't have the experience to do it. See, I guess that's the thing is I shouldn't have drawn an, an analogy between Zatanna and, and Wasp because then it makes it sound like I'm picking on the girls. And that's not what I meant. What, what I'm really saying is, you know, I just he's Superman. I just don't like the idea of him taking orders from somebody else, you know, because the only other member I can think that that you can make a decent argument for being the leader of the team is possibly Batman. You know, because he's he's the brainy one. You know, 
So he he could kind of be like a, a, a cap figure for Justice League. Uh, uh, and you know, on the on the other hand, like the Avengers. I mean, I can't think of anybody else besides Captain. Possibly Thor because he's a god, you know. Because I he's would like the say Superman. Iron Man over Thor. Uh, I don't know though. He's not really a team player, even though he's a founding member. I I've never seen Iron Man as a as a as a team guy. You know what I mean? Well, the only problem with Thor is that Thor is you know he's not there just because of the fight. He's there for the greater good. But right. Thor's main function is I'm gonna go. I am the freaking bruiser, you know. Th- actually, in all honesty, Thor's function is that the Avengers are getting their ass kicked, and Thor shows up at the last second and bails them all out. Right. Um, it's not so much that way on the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes animated series that's on right now. I have on yet Disney to see XD that, and is really freaking good. Um, but. You, you never want your bruiser as your leader because they're not they're thinking as straight ahead you want somebody that's going to kind of survey the field and figure out what's going on and that's why Cap is always the leader no matter who is in charge or who's got the little gavel at the meeting right? It, you know, he's the one that's surveying the battlefield and putting people where they need to go I think I don't think Superman is as good of a strategist as Captain America would be, but that's always why I kind of liked the way Morrison's JLA worked, where Superman was the field commander, but you had John Jones in everybody's head doing strategy right in the fight, and that always worked out better for me because it's like yeah let the guy that can read minds and link everybody up so instead of somebody rushing off to do something because they think that's what they need to do you got somebody in their head going no Kyle do this Wally do that right and and it just makes for a more exciting battle scene to me than just a bunch of people going like a a Liefeld Avengers fight from that first (laughs) issue of uh, Heroes Reborn Avengers I mean it was just like Good God, nothing's going on here. <laughs> that was an interesting tangent. That was an interesting tangent. <laughs> um, page uh, 17. And stop me if you've got notes in between all these, nope, by I'm the good. way. We got uh, the part here. I love this part. Aquaman says, uh, you know, this is when they're in the in the 40s on Earth, too, and everything's all screwed up. He says, something's very wrong. He says, you all know I'm partially telepathic. And I've got the weirdest sensation right now. A strange feeling like deja vu. Okay. Yeah, you talk to fish, dude. And telepathy isn't spider sense. So I, I just wanted to point that out. Telepathy means that you can communicate mind to mind. It doesn't give you you're not some sen- sort of... You're not quote-unquote sensitive. Right, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's not... Uh, uh, oh, what is that? Uh, like precognition or whatever, you know, that's just, uh, it, that kind of bugged me. I, I understand it was them throwing Aquaman a bone, but that, that's one of my, another one of my comic book beefs, especially with justice league from this era is that they, they felt that need to keep throwing Aquaman a bone. Like he was a lame ass. Aquaman's not lame. Aquaman's cool. And it just, I, I think that that was, it was one of those things that just kind of became the routine and nobody ever 
took much effort to break it, you know, to, to give him interesting things to do. So they just give him some wonky line of dialogue from time to time just to remind us that he was actually there. I, I would rather have just seen him do something cool and do something interesting. But anyway, I, I'm glad that you picked up on the uh, Rick Springfield reference on page 21 because – um, it was very ironic as I was sitting down to reread this issue some time ago. My wife was actually gearing up to go to a Rick Springfield uh, appearance and and went and saw him. So I I actually found a um a shot of that panel online somewhere and and sent it to her and she got a kick out of it. She thought that was funny. She was like, "They reference Rick Springfield," and I was like, "Well, this is from 1982." <laughs> Let's see what else we got here. Backing up one second, though. Uh-huh. Um, call me sexist, but it seems to me that the JSA being a bunch of guys, really, with no female members at the time, it seems like they would have like an Alberto Vargas pinup calendar <laughs> in their meeting room instead <laughs> of um, instead of the 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 cityscape for July nineteen forty two. Is- and, and I'm sorry if if you have July. I know it's supposed, it's the wrong thing, but if you have July, there should be something patriotic. Like I bought a I bought a Marvel calendar this year uh, at Walmart because I wanted to have a calendar in here in the fortress, and I was very very happy because for the first time in, in all of these calendars I've seen with Marvel, they actually put Cap in July. Oh, that's cool. Which seems to me like a no-brainer, but it doesn't happen all that often. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I, I could see them totally having like a like you know like 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 high-class cheesecake, not not like you know truck stop cheesecake, but you know just that's just <laughs> me though. You you know that Starman Ted Knight has like a really nice porn collection. I mean, it's forties oh, porn, yeah. so it's not all that. You know, Wait, Starman? Did you say Starman? I was thinking uh, Ted uh, Ted Grant Wildcat would be more. <laughs> no, Ted Grant would have like Hustler, is what Ted Grant right. or the or the Hustler of the day. Right. <laughs> Ted Knight would have the high class. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, okay, I agree with that. You're at, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. <laughs> Ted Grant would have like Jugs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't sound so happy about that. Yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm done with this show. <laughs> Page 22. Um, that's a very Gary Frank-looking Superman right there. <sighs> well, no, because he doesn't look like a heroin addict. Um, he does look like Christopher Reeve, though. A little bit, but... See, that's one panel out of a 23-page right. <laughs> So it's like, when you get that every once in a while, plus, you know, this... Plus, Christopher Reeve was, one, alive at the time. Right. And two, still playing Superman. So so it's not like, okay, they, they, they did a little Chris Reeve thing, that's great. Nowadays, it's just damn creepy. Even my, even Rachel, like, oh, Rachel looks at that, she goes, that's creepy! <laughs> He's dead! <laughs> I love this I as the book that. wraps up. All right, last panel, page 22. They see the doorknob rattling, and somebody says, The door! Someone's coming in! You flip the page. <laughs> First person to speak. Superman says, It must be the Justice Society. And they're all standing around waiting for the door to open. Um, need I really remind you, dude? You can look through friggin' walls! 
surely he can see through the door to see who's coming in. Yeah. He's Superman. He's got Mr. X-ray, X-ray vision. vision. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, I've been informed that I, I misquoted my wife. My my wife did not say, ooh, that's creepy. It's, what did you say? No, I said that's creepy, but it'd be really creepy if he drew the chair, too. <laughs> but it would be really creepy if he drew the wheelchair, too. Oh. <laughs> There's your wrong joke. That was wrong. Not as bad as Larry the Cable Guy at Jeff Foxworthy's saying that the Jeff Foxworthy sitcom was so bad, Chris Reeve got up to change the channel. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's that's beyond the, the boundaries of good taste, I think. Uh, but, it's, but, you know, all in all, it's it, even though the X-ray vision... It's very typical comic book superhero, uh, especially of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, on this last page is that they see the door rattling and instead of doing like a full page shot of the all-stars walking in and you know everyone like going ah WTF they have like f- five people <laughs> like you know again the, 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 this this brings up a, a family guy thing it's like it must be the Justice Society boy is this getting weird meeting those guys when they're only a few years older than me Moons of Thanagar my Grand Slam was supposed to come with sausage <laughs> All right, I, I'm sorry. I guess I just don't get that reference. <laughs> Especially since we did the joke like episodes ago. <laughs> I know I didn't get it then either. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put the clip in again. All right, Lois. I don't believe it. It's Menages. Hey guys, this is the girl I told you about. You know, I knew her before we formed Kiss. Loose Lois. Cool, Loose Lois. The legend herself. My grand slam was supposed to be with sausage. Um, but no, it's it, it's a it's a very satisfying ending to it because you were kind of expecting the JSA, but here's the All Star Squadron, and I kind of feel bad for the people at the time that weren't reading All Star Squadron, <laughs> turning the page and there's the All Star Squadron. Right. <laughs> like, who are these guys? Well, that's exactly what the what the Justice League does. <laughs> Who are these assholes? I, I kind of like that. Although I I always look at that and I'm, I'm a little surprised that um they don't know who they are. You know, I mean, well, I mean, granted that it's a different Earth and all that, but I mean, they they you know Superman who reads all the Justice Society files. Evidently, I, I think that was referenced in this issue, wasn't it? I don't know. It's referenced at some point that Superman has read their files, so he knew like who Per Degaton was and stuff like that. Why? Why wouldn't he know who these guys are? But they act like they're they're newcomers on the scene, and I I understand why they're doing that because All Star is a brand new book still at this point, and and a lot of these people were brand new to readers like me. So I understand it from that viewpoint, from the reader viewpoint, but from the internal logic of the story, Superman at the very least should have at least some idea who these people are. But I don't know. It's still, I don't want to take away from what is really a great cliffhanger ending, though, because I really like it. I, I, I always like where, uh, you know, you're setting up potential conflict. You know, it's, it's very Marvel. But it's you know that doesn't make it bad just because it's very Marvel you know that you're that you're setting up potential conflict you know between these two teams you know where you know you've had you've had 
Superman come up over one side of the building and Spider-Man on the other, and now they're going to tussle. You know, I, I like that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm always a sucker for that. Um, the letters page of this, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on this sh- uh, mentioned this on this show, but they've got a a letter here from T. M. Maple, who was a prolific letter hack mm-hmm. uh, throughout the the late '70s and '80s, and uh, the reason why he's called T. M. Maple here is that when he originally started writing into comics, he called himself the Mad Maple. Mm-hmm. It was his little, for lack of a better term, his message board handle was the Mad Maple. But at one point, Jim Shooter said, we're only going to print letters from people who use real names. So he just went TM for the Mad. Right. And th- that's how he was able to sneak it in. So a little bit of comics minutia for you. Where did we just recently talk about that? I have no idea. We just recently talked about that. In you and I show. or you and somebody I else? I thought it was you and I, but maybe it was me and somebody I can't remember. But yeah, we just... That, that <laughs> That's came, okay. I just told that that same history lesson not long ago, and for the life of me, I can't remember where <laughs> in the world that, that happened at. I like this part, the, uh, the four-year information little yellow box down here. Um, it just says fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you, which I think was a commercial or something at the time. Um, well, and that's it also about, that's also a Disney song. Um, I think it's a song from like no, the it is no, it's a song. Yeah, if you're if you're young at heart, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, but it just talks about how Barbara J. Randall, who it says here, who uh, not too many issues ago had a letter. Uh, featured in this very same letter call. Now she's been hired by Dick Giordano to come work at uh, at DC. She would eventually become um, Barbara Kessel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe she's still in comics today, isn't she? Is she still working at DC? I think she is. I, I really don't know. I she She's one of my... One, uh, for what it's worth, my Facebook friend. Yeah, me too. Which, which means is that I friended her and she accepted the friend invitation, and that's basically where it ended. Um, right, as, as it does with so many comics. Oh, yeah. The fact that Joe Staten once commented on something I posted, like, floored me. So that was awesome. I was actually carrying on a, a PM conversation yesterday with George Perez. Can you believe that? I was totally geeked out over that. It was really awesome. Just to just to name drop how how awesome I am. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I, I really was. <laughs> yes, you are. It was um, very cool. But no, you know, I, I'm in the same boat with you, Mike, because I'm Facebook friends with her too. And really, you know, I think it's awesome and all. But the only thing, you know. I could think of to ask her, which believe me, I did not. I'm just curious what what happened with her and Carl. You know, when I met them, they were so happy and everything. So it, it made me really sad to to find out that uh, I guess they're not together anymore. I thought that was I thought that was very sad. That sort of thing bothers me. So anyway, well, our our, our usual feature of looking at what else was going on in the DC multiverse, we're actually going to put off till next episode because the uh, All Star issue takes place in the same month as this one, as as are the ads. So, uh, do you want to knock out like an email or two? 
sure. while we're here to, to kind of end it and then uh, send everybody on their merry way and tell them to get the hell out of our house. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let me see. Do we have any ads in this one? Or was, let me I think they're the same ads as uh, the All-Stars. Oh, okay. Here. All right. Well, we can wait till next uh, next time. Yeah, because we'll, we'll try to balance out the... Uh, balance them out a little bit time-wise here. All right, yeah, let's take a look at uh, emails. I'm sorry, I don't have it already open in front of me. That's okay. If you want to go ahead and dive into the first one while I pull this up, that's cool. All righty, our first email is from Tom Panarese, who has written to the show numerous times. It says, Episode 33, which is like ten episodes ago. (laughs) Uh, says Mike and Scott, I, w- I just wanted to write in and say how much I appreciate the occasional history lesson that you guys offer when discussing these issues of the All-Star Squadron. And I don't mind if either of you get on a soapbox every once in a while. Mike's comments on dropping the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were excellent, and you touched upon a topic that is always good for a debate. Like you, I have a family member whose life was more or less saved because of the invasion of Japan never took place. And though I appreciate the devastation of the bomb, I also appreciate how devastating the that offensive would have been. It's great to have such a spirited history and political discussion in the context of the series that takes place during actual events. I really enjoy and look forward to the podcast each week and look forward to you discussing Brave and the Bold 182 as it was one of the first comics I ever owned. All the best, Tom Panarese. Did we do I, that issue? Did we talk about that? I think we did. Raven the Bold 182. Is that the one with Batman and the Earth uh, 2 Robin? I believe it is. Did we do that one? I think we did do that one. You know, it's really sad when we can't remember what we did. I can't remember. It's it's like the only thing worse is that, you know, I, you know, somebody goes, well, what episode of Back to the Bins did you discuss such and such issue on? It's like, fuck if I know. He doesn't write the issues that we talk about. No, I don't. And I had to go and find that recently for one of my own notes. And I was like, oh, Jesus, how the hell do I... But I actually, I actually did discover a system where I could do that sort of. We, we, we need to write that down for at least for our own edifications. I used to, ha- I used to keep a note on that. I, I really did, and I just stopped doing it. So now, anytime anybody, I well, what issue, William? What episode did you discuss that? I'm just like you. I'm like hell if I know, dude. Go listen to them all. No, but I'm glad that Tom enjoyed uh, the little discussion we had on on the dropping of the bomb because that is, you know. As we've discussed many times, you know, we really don't want to make this a, a, a political show. You know, this this is not the Fox News of podcasting. This is a show where we talk about how awesome the Justice Society is. And sometimes it can get really annoying when the hosts, uh, especially if I'm listening to a show, which, which has happened very rarely, but when the hosts of the show get off on their own political views, and even if I agree with their views, it's just like, I don't want that here. You know, but with this, this series in particular is so tied into World War II, you know, next episode we're going to be talking about a letter in the letters column of All-Star Squadron, which really just kind of flat out pissed me off. Um, And it touches upon a subject that people actually debate as if it never happened, which makes me angry. Right. Um, but you know, every once in a while, you kind of gotta you you gotta dip into the pool because it's there in front of you, and if you avoid it, I don't think it would hurt the show. 
but at the same time, you know, if if you if you've got something that's staring yourself in the face, staring you in the face, you've got to talk about it. I think uh, there's a big, big, big difference between that, you know, discussing an issue that's right in front of you, rather than you know, pretend it isn't there, and political axe grinding, which is, I think, what we're talking about. Yeah, with that we hear on so many other shows. Yeah, I'm with you because that shit annoys me, particularly since they're usually wrong. So, <laughs> well, even even on, but like like I said, even if it's something I agree with, it's just like, dude, this isn't what I came for. I I I, I came right. to hear you talk about character X, Y, and Z. You know, if you don't like the president, that's cool, but still. I don't want to hear about it here. Right. So. Exactly. But that's just me. Um, no, I I, agree, I completely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, let's see. This next one's a monster. Do we want to do this right now? Yeah, that could be or? the last one. Okay. I'll go ahead and read this one. Okay. <clears throat> okay, next one up is from Sean Foster, and he writes, Of all stars and bats. He says, Hello again, Scott and Mike. I thought I'd drop you a line or two after listening to the latest uh, episode of Tales, number 34. And God, guys, I apologize that not only have we been gone for forever, but it seems like we're really, really far behind on these emails. Uh, he says, But first, to answer a question that Scott had about uh, my chuckling at Todd McFarlane admiring George Perez's art on the JLA letters page in my last email to the show. It's because I think Todd is, in many ways, the anti-Perez. Anti McFarlane's art, while good at the beginning of his career, has rapidly degenerated as the years went by, while his efforts as a writer leave much to be desired. Contrast that with Perez, who actually got better as an artist over the years and could actually co-plot and write uh, comics with the best of them. That's just my opinion, so take it as you will. Hmm. I don't think it's so much that his art degenerated. I just think it he he found a style that sold in the late '80s and early '90s and right. stuck with it, right? Um, and really hasn't done much art since then. I mean, he really like around the middle of the '90s, he kind of dropped out, left Spawn to other people um, to kind of do with you know keeping oversight, of course. But his main thing was I've got a toy company. And if you ever see him interviewed on documentaries and stuff, he is always surrounded by sports memorabilia, right. um, which always strikes me as odd. It's like, dude, if you're talking about Spider-Man, could you at least like go into a room and put up like one of your Spider-Man covers or something? I don't want to see you with hockey stuff while you're talking about Spider-Man. It <laughs> it's like diametrically opposed. But I, I get what Sean is saying here, but I just disagree slightly with one of the. Um, specifics of what he was saying right yeah i i think calling him the anti-paris is a little bit far but the rest of it i agree with i don't know about rapidly degenerate so much as that his style didn't survive the the time of his popularity mm -hmm. whereas perez has kind of a timeless comic book art style that it's hard to define perez you look at perez and you know you could call him an 80s artist but then when he does a contemporary book it doesn't feel retro to me it feels well, like well that's comics you know he's an illustrator right that's the thing his people look like people whereas mcfarlane especially when you know he found what sold you know he, he, it, it, it's not caricatures 
but it was more of a cartoony style. Right. Um, you know, his Spider-Man, his version of Spider-Man, you know, lasted for years, you know, going through Larson and then Bagley kind of had, you know, if you look at McFarlane to Larson to Bagley, there's not, like, at any point a complete and utter, like, jump in visuals. They all kind of flow nicely into each other. Um... but it was never, you know, with with Spider-Man's feet up, you know, you know, with his ankles up over his head, like you know, he's in some kind of porn shot. Um, it doesn't look human. Whereas, because of the way, like we were talking about earlier in this episode, Perez draws everybody different. It looks like, not that he took a picture and drew it, but that it looks like it could actually happen. Right. Unlike Alex Ross, who. No, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> he continues here. He says, uh, now I've been enjoying the ongoing coverage of All-Star Squadron. Does, does that mean he wasn't enjoying it before, I guess? Um, the first arc with Per Degaton was excellent. He has become the only villain with a time-traveling gimmick that I like. True, it is a bit annoying that the JSA forgets nearly every single encounter they have with him due to the method of his time-traveling, but that doesn't doesn't diminish him as a credible threat in my eyes. Uh, that he comes back once or twice more during this series is a testament to that. In fact, I'd say Per Degaton is the JSA as a team premier villain, with Solomon Grundy as a close second. See, I, it's not that I I argue with you on that. I, I kind of think of him that way too. But the problem is, is that the JSA themselves should not think of him that way because they shouldn't, as you point out, remember this guy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that part that part of it's always bugged me. As for the Black Dragon story in the fourth issue of All Star Squadron, I think Roy uh, Thomas did a good job of explaining why Superman and et al. didn't end the whole war in one day in a manner that invoked the origin of the JSA itself. His solution to that logical problem also laid in the groundwork for the plot of the America versus the JSA miniseries down the road a bit. I'm looking forward to covering that, by the way, mm-hmm. just because I, I only have vague memories of that one. I've never read it. Oh, really? Nope, have it. Never read it. I have the promo poster of that somewhere. I need to put that up one of these days because it's actually really cool. Uh, I also like how he once more incorporated some of the non-comic uh, properties that featured DC heroes by mentioning Prince Daka from yes. the Batman serial who yes. plays a central role in a later arc in the series. Like Mike, I think the deterrent used in the Golden Age miniseries, Parsifal, is that how he's pronounced? Yep. The Nazi agent who could negate other people's powers was a bit of a cop-out, but uh, it was an effort to give a more realistic ex- explanation of why the heroes couldn't just win the war. Why do you need a more realistic explanation of that? <laughs> Yeah, that's my thing with that. I mean, I I don't hate it, but it's just like, hey, we got a spear of destiny makes about as much sense to me as hey, there's this dude over here that negates other people's powers. Right. And here's another question: Parsifal couldn't be everywhere in Nazi Germany. So if, if one guy can negate people's powers then you send in the non-powered guy to kill him and then you invade 
So he didn't he didn't like radiate out like a like a zone of depowerization or some bullshit. It was, I, it's been so long since I've read the miniseries. He he might as he might very well have, but it's not like if he's in Germany that they can't go to Japan. That's a good point. Yeah. So, see, I. I like you. It's been a while since I read it, and I couldn't remember that thing. But yeah, now that I think about it, if he's like that character from X Men, who just I just suddenly drew a blank on his name, but he was in that last X Men movie. Mm-hmm. He was the little kid in the in the white room that could negate powers and stuff. If, if he's like him, then I would think if he just threw a whole bunch of superpowers at him at all at the same time, I mean, eventually. You know, it seems like somebody would, you know, like Superman could still, you know, like you send in somebody with a lame ass power to distract him while Superman goes in and, you know, rips Hitler's head off or something, you know? So I, I don't know. <laughs> wow. You know what I mean? Anyway, he continues. I'm enjoying That's the not coverage. something you're going to see in the newsreels, by the way. <laughs> I'm enjoying the coverage of the Huntress backups as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> As a huge fan of the character, a part of me longs for her to somehow come back into continuity. You and me both, brother. He says, but I don't. Uh, but I doubt she'd fit into the anti-legacy universe that DC has sadly morphed into <laughs> over the last four or five years. Yeah. How is that anti-legacy when everyone's a freaking legacy character? <laughs> but they're not. They're they're doing away. We, we've talked about this before. How you know they they took Wally and and um, I'm talking like Manhunter, Blue Beetle, other characters like that. But Blue Beetle's not a legacy character. There's been two others. That's technically That's a legacy. What, no, it's not, though. It's not, because a legacy... Well, I don't know. Maybe this is... And especially a, since it's the scarab that the first guy used, is what I, Jamie I, Reyes yeah. is using. See, I don't see... See, we're going to get into a, an area that's probably going to piss somebody off. I don't see Blue Beetle as a legacy character. I see him as another example of a, of a trend in comics that really pisses me off, where... We got too many whiteys in in our universe, so let's take a couple of them out of play and and change them to some other ethnicity. If if I now this is me talking out my ass, but it just seems to me if I was a non-white person and all you ever did was throw me a bone by taking a white character and making him into my ethnicity, I think that would piss me off that you couldn't come up with somebody original once in a while, you know, that was an ethnic character. And they've done this a lot in comic books, and it just seems insulting to me. It's insulting to me, for one, as a white guy, but it's insulting to me for, you know, for the other ethnicities. I don't... Is that just me? I mean, I'm not trying to be racist here. I'm just saying. I mean, they they can't come up with a decent, you know... uh, What is he supposed to be? He's... uh, uh, Blue Beetle is Hispanic. Hispanic, yeah. I mean, they can't come up with a decent Hispanic superhero on their own. They, they've got to, they've got to take a white one off the board in order to. It, it's, it's, it's a hand me down. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, it would be better if they just created a new character. The to kind of play devil's advocate, I guess their theory is is that if you take an existing name and and give it to the quote-unquote ethnic hero, then it has more of an appeal because then you can tie it into something else instead of just saying, here's a brand new character. But that doesn't always work, work, and I'm looking at El Diablo from 1990 as a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. 
here was a character that tied into an earlier DC property, not a well-known DC property, but a DC property nonetheless, and it failed. Failed miserably, unfortunately, even though it was a really good title uh, of what I've read of it. So, you know, it doesn't always work, but I I think the other thing is, is that I honestly think that creators are afraid of creating El Dorado. Okay. From the Super Friends. That, That, you know, okay, we had, you know, wasn't the White Tiger Hispanic in Marvel? Yes. So, you, you know, you have that, but that's kind of the exception to the rule where you've actually kind of hit on a good idea, basically. That, you know, we can create an original hero that is African American or is Asian or is, you know, Latina or um, whatever. But unfortunately, and this is a sad fact of the matter, again, playing devil's advocate, is that normally those characters don't sell all that well. And I don't know why, because it's not that they're bad characters. It's just for whatever reason, white characters sell better. I mean, I'm proud of that fact, but, you know, when you look at what has been successful in the comic book industry over the past 75 years that's what's been successful and every time they try to do something and push those boundaries like with the excellently written milestone books they still end up failing for some reason like they don't catch an audience for whatever so i don't know uh, <laughs> i'm suddenly reminded of that that scene toward the beginning of uh chasing Amy with a, where the black guy's <laughs> ranting and railing about Darth Vader and he says, so what you're saying is deep down we all wants to be white and, and isn't Jason that true? Says, well isn't that true? <laughs> the most offensive oh it, <laughs> this beautiful black visage is rude <laughs> I love it <laughs> old crusty white guy. It's, uh, I love that. <laughs> oh, come on. Lando Calrissian's a positive role model. Fuck Lando, <laughs> Fuck Lando Calrissian. Calrissian. <laughs> Uncle Tom, motherfucker. <laughs> Every time I bring this up, some white boy's got to bring up the Holy Trinity. Oh, Holy Trinity, Trilogy, I know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sometimes oh. I will just watch the movie to that point and turn it off because that's all I really want to see. I know. I know. I love the beginning of that movie. All right. He let's did have see a here. point, though, that mm-hmm. that it was, you know, the white kid trying to take over the thing from the black character. <laughs> James Earl Jones' voice and all. <laughs> well, my favorite is the reaction of one of the special effects guy when they first heard Darth Vader speak without James Earl Jones' voice. It's like, that's Darth Vader? Some Scottish guy? <laughs> Uh, let's see here continuing on he says I'm also dreading how Grant Morrison will find a way to screw her up if he does any Earth 2 stories in his upcoming new multiverse stuff did that ever happen no it was still so it was it was announced but it was far off so it's still being worked on but uh, I get to say this and and with a smile on my face I don't care I don't have to because I'm not going to read it yeah. No thanks. I, I, I guess that's a good... Yeah. I, I, I'd have to be with you on that. It's just... 
I, I'm not invested anymore. You know, I don't buy anything anymore. But at the same rate, that bothers me only from the angle of there's that much more damage control DC would have to do in order to entice me to ever come back. You know, <laughs> rather than minimizing the stuff that that they that they need to fix, it's it's like they just continue to to screw things. I don't know. I don't want to get off on that tangent. He continues, I'm looking forward to the next installment of the Huntress Backups, which should feature my second favorite Earth 2 character, Power Girl. Dude, I apologize. We just kind of dropped that segment. And as a matter of fact, I had it in my brain to, while we were in our little hiatus and scheduling difficulties phase, I was actually going to start reading some of that stuff and, and possibly churn out some solo episodes covering that material just so that we have stuff coming out. Yeah, just never really happened. But it really needs to because uh, I was looking at something. I think it was Mike's Amazing World, and they were, you know, it had a great feature in there about, you know, the last appearance of this character and the next appearance of this character kind of thing. And it said the last appearance of the JSA in whatever story I was looking at. It's tied into this Crisis on Earth Prime crossover was Wonder Woman 291. I was like, it was? So I went and looked to see what issue that was, and it's that all-girl crossover story that I've referenced a couple of times, which I still want to talk about somewhere at some time. So, yeah, keep keep on me about that. I do want to cover that stuff at some point. I think we need to, to be authoritative on this era. It's just, I don't know that that material really fits in this show at this time. But eventually, yeah, we've got to address that somehow or other. Just because I want to. (laughs) As for the fifth issue of All-Star Squadron, I liked it. It tied up the dangling plot with uh, Danette Riley and her emerging superpowers, plus it had a kick-ass fight scene. It also began the trend of Roy Thomas's retelling classic JSA stories in the midst of weaving his own plots. I feel it gives the reader a genuine sense that these are truly tales of the golden age that happened between the panels and issues of All-Star Comics. The Shanghai into hyperspace interludes toward the end of the series run are a classic example coming down the road a bit. I agree with everything you say there except that Shanghai into space. <laughs> I was about to say. I hated that story. I really didn't like that at all. But I never, that, never before have you seen such an obvious attempt at not knowing what to do after the, after your entire universe and concept was gutted thanks to the crisis on Infinite Earths. Well, doesn't a lot of that incorporate the original artwork and stuff of that story? Not that I remember. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah, I just, I just remember not liking that. But again, that, that, you know what? You probably hit the nail on the head that it's, uh, it's because it's post-crisis, and it just, yeah, it, somehow it just didn't have the same feel anymore. It's like the heart had gone out of it or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. We'll have to see when we get there. Now, putting aside some of the wonky bits of the story, I thought Interlude on Earth... Is this supposed to be Earth 2, or is it just... Yeah, okay. I guess so. Good story. Uh, the more incredible things that Hugo Strange did with the Cosmic Rod, like recreating Catwoman's plane, didn't bug me so much. Now, he's talking about this... Brave this and the Bold, number break. 182. He did cover this now. Now I remember. Uh, I chalked it up to the matter-manipulating, rearranging powers uh, demonstrated when the Star Spangled Kid had it during the All-Star Revival, but on a larger scale. I also enjoyed uh, Mike's reminder of how the early Batman tales had him gunning down his enemies a lot of times. 
I somehow missed the creepy cougar attitude of the Earth 2 Batwoman when I read this story uh, a while back, but now it uh, but now it'll probably be all I see when I go through it again later on. I wonder why her unrequited lust for the older Bruce Wayne didn't cause her to try and break up the wedding between him and Catwoman. Uh, Did I say Catwoman before? I meant Earth 2 Batwoman is what he said. Yeah. I think I said Earth 2 Catwoman. Okay, now I understand what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. Should I reread that? Nah, that'll be fine. Okay. Uh, now there's an untold tale I'd like to see. Catfight at Stately Wayne Manor. That'd be hot. <laughs> I would be there for that. That sounds cool. Now onto a slight bit of what Scott might call nitpickery. Uh, at the end of episode 34, Mike mentions that the Brave and the Bold, uh, number 182, has not been collected anywhere. Well, he's wrong! See, I say that all the time, and I never get any backup on it. It was collected in a trade called Batman Secrets of the Batcave back in 2007. I remember reading it there, so I thought I'd pass the info along. Because Mike is wrong! No, he didn't say that. I said that. Anyway, keep up the good work. I'll be eagerly waiting every Friday and beyond for the next episode of the Tales of the JSA. <laughs> Just have this picture of Sean, like like his skeleton, waiting by the. <laughs> <laughs> I will have Chris Honeywell Photoshop that for for us. <laughs> Somebody sitting in front of their computer with like our RSS feed in front of them, and it's just a skeleton sitting there with their with their head in their in their hand. That's great. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. We are committed to this show, though. We we really we promise we're we're gonna do better because you know what? If if nothing else, one thing occurs to me while we're doing this. Damn, I've missed doing this show. Mm-hmm. I really have. This has been a lot of fun. And 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 to to peel back the curtain, we're about to record the next one too. So it's gonna, the fun will not end. Well, it'll end right now because the episode's pretty much over. Um, I have I have to check on this. Um, I wish I would have done this before the show started. About the reprint? Uh, yes, I already checked. It's it's not at least according to Mike's Amazing World, it's it not been reprinted. Should be in the next. Crisis on Multiple Earths trade. Right. Because they just released one, well, just April of last year, they released one that had the George Perez art, uh, cover that did the Jonah Hex crossover, which which is giving him more of a role in that crossover than he actually had. But, right. Um, because I'm with you, that's the thing I'm going to remember, and the um, the New Gods crossover. So really, the next one should have the um, the one with the Ultra Humanite as the bad guy, and this one, mm-hmm. which would be like eight issues, which would fill out a trade, right? Um, fairly well. I just think again, the the problem with doing those trades is that they have to pay the people involved a lot more money than doing like the stuff from the 60s where they can reprint that all day long and twice on Sunday I think without really working anything out with either the creators or the families of the creators you know, speaking of that and I, I want to give credit where credit's due and I'm, I'm having trouble remembering who it was exactly I was talking to I believe it was Leroy Rivera uh, somebody write in and let me know if, if if I'm wrong, if you're listening. 
But somebody was telling me that uh, I guess All Star Squadron is about to finally be reprinted. Infinity Incorporated is. That was it. That was it. It was Infinity Inc. That was the it. Generation Saga. The first like eight issues of that series is getting a trade paperback. But it's like forty bucks. I was like, wow. You know, I mean, is it may- hardcover? Maybe. May I might have the wrong thing. I know it's it's connected to what we're doing on this show is why the person brought it up to me. So maybe I'm remembering it wrong. But they, they sent me a list of what was going to be in the thing. And I was like, you know, for stuff that you can mostly find in the 50 cent bin, I think <laughs> this is a little expensive, you know? <laughs> you mean like the recent Marvel Tales lot I won on eBay for like 12 bucks? Mm-hmm. That was like, scattered the first 36 issues of Amazing Spider-Man and I got that for 12 in full color as opposed to buying the same material over two essentials for 36, 40 bucks. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that you know, they, they must be banking on two facts. That for one, fanboys typically are not a patient group of people. You know, it, but also it's the convenience of having it. You know, you can buy it right now all in one form. You don't have to chase all over fifty cent box, you know, boxes all over the country for the next, you know, ten to twenty years trying to find them. I get that, but still, come on, guys, take it into consideration that this shit is fifty cent material. You know, I mean, you know. Well, also there is a generation of fans that has been raised over the last decade to read things in trade paperback form. So when they get old material, they're not wanting the comics. They're just wanting the story to read it. So yeah. that could be who it's for. Yeah, I guess. It's just, it just you know, it seems, to me anyway, it seems like a blatant gouge. But, you know, hey, you know, if people you, are willing to pay for it, then... You and I are the ones that want to peruse 50 cent boxes and put more comics in our house, even though we really don't need to... <laughs> Well, you know what? For the first time in a very, very, very long time, I actually have all my comics stacked up on a floor that cannot cave in, so that's pretty cool. No basements in Florida. It's pretty awesome. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm.
Rainbow for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com When Captain America throws his mighty shield All those who chose to oppose his shield must yield Hey John, how's it going? Not bad, Mike. I just want to let you know I really enjoyed the latest episode of Legends of the Batman. You and Michael Bradley are doing great over there. Thanks, man. Now if I could just get this other podcast rolling for my favorite character... I don't suppose you'd want to hear about it. Me? Do another podcast? I already have shows about my two favorite characters with Amazing Spider-Man Classics and Golden Age Superman, and not to mention co-hosting Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. There's no way I could do another weekly show. Hmm. Well, who said it has to be weekly? Well, even even bi-weekly would still... What about monthly? Monthly? What were you thinking? Well... I already have a Golden Age show going, so I was thinking Silver Age with... Oh, 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 you know what would be cool? A Silver Age Marvel show talking about every Marvel comic book ever that would rock. Yeah, for like ten episodes, but then we'd have so many books going we'd never get anywhere. Yeah, that's probably true. So who are you thinking? When Captain America throws his mighty Captain America? Captain America. I, I, I like Captain America. And there's the movie this year, too, so it'd be perfect. So you're thinking like a monthly show on the Silver Age books? Yeah. Oh, but but what about the Golden Age? Could we could we work that in? Because we both love Golden Age comics, and I've, I've never read a lot of that stuff. It could be fun. Sure, and that first issue of Captain America Comics is amazing. We could probably talk for hours about just that issue. <laughs> I also love the Brubaker stuff. And, you know, he is starting up a new series when the movie comes out. 
So Golden Age, Silver Age, and Modern? Well, if it's monthly. I like it. Okay, cool. So when and where are we doing this? Let's meet once a month at themightyshield.com and on iTunes for The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast to cover every Captain America adventure from the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and today. And the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America shows his mighty shield.